Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Will Lingo, I'm John Manuel, bringing the band back together from the from back in the, the days of yore and yesteryear, in the old days of the Baseball America podcast, back before we were sponsored by DeMarini Demo House. Because when it comes to buying a baseball bat, DeMarini just changed the game. Introducing Demo House, where you can step into the cage and hit the latest from DeMarini before you buy, because there's no substitute for hitting a real baseball or talking to people who know both bats and batting. Your demo time in the cage is free. Get the season started right. Visit your nearest demo house today. Locations and full details can be found at demarini.com backslash demo house. And, Will, we've actually heard the Demarini demo house being used in advertising to lure people into a local establishment here in North Carolina. That's right. I've Grand been Slam to USA. Uh, our local Demarini demo house location. I can't say that I have demoed a DeMarini bat, I haven't but seen I have it. seen them being demoed, and gone online. there was a former major leaguer who instructs at Grand Slam USA. And There's I also a current uh, Red Sox farmhand, Tim Fedorovich, is also listed as a uh, I cannot remember guys. who it is. We'll, we'll have that for the next podcast, but it's good to be back in the podcast nook. It has been a while, though. It's, it's been, been several been seasons of Project Runway since I've been in here. It, it is. That, that show has not changed one bit, really. No. Uh, they, they changed, and then they changed back. Since you've done a podcast, I believe so. It has been that long. Uh, one other thing that uh, hasn't changed is our top 100 prospects. We we still like the number 100. I think just it's like a good Project list. Runway, if you find a good formula, stick with it. That's exactly right. Don't change. Don't go move to Los Angeles. Don't get rid of Nina and uh, Michael Kors. Why on earth would you do that anyway? We don't need 150 prospects. Or 100. Even, that's right. 100 is a is a fine number. And uh, once again, well, we have, I think I was surprised. The last two years, we've had kind of elite number one and two prospects. Mm-hmm. We've really had no other discussion among those number one or two guys. It's been, okay, we know who the top two is, and then trying to decide number one. And this year is the first time I can remember us making a decision and then almost make, going back on it, basically. We, yeah. we just kept gathering information up until we had to publish the thing, and that included a late change at the top of our top 100 prospects list. Yeah, uh, it was... I think it's close within the office even uh, between Steven Strasburg and Jason Hayward. You can find people who support both, and there are obviously good reasons to support both. Uh, we did a prospect draft, which I'm sure we'll talk about more next week, yep. Yep. Uh, where each individual staff member drafted his own farm system from players in the prospect handbook. And, you know, the, it was the same divide. It's Strasburg or Hayward at the top, and I don't think anybody else was even in the discussion. No, and it's not like uh, the other guys in the top ten, and I think we had a reasonable consensus top ten, but even there, there was some difference of opinion. I know in the handbook, I had Desmond Jennings really high at four. I don't think either you or Jim Callis had him in your top ten. Maybe you had if him eight or nine. not in the top ten, it was just on the, the fringes of it. Yeah, in the eight to twelve range, I would so guess. So, to me, that was really the only consensus. And, you know, everybody had Mike Stanton pretty high. I'm still kicking myself for not having Stanton higher in last year's handbook. That's That's been the story I think that Ben Ballard's most tired of that he's heard me tell <laughs> during the year is that when I did my first draft of my top 50 for the 09 book, I had Stanton at three. And um, right as I was talking about having Stanton at three, Ben was doing his own research on Mike Stanton and had this big spreadsheet about big current big leaguers and how much they struck out, what their strikeout rate mm-hmm. was in low A, and how no one other than Russell Brannion, I believe it was, had a strikeout rate as high in low A as uh, as Mike Stanton's. And that data 
definitely shook my confidence, or li- I didn't have any confidence anyway in putting Stanton at three. In Ben's research uh, uh, last year when we were doing minor league player of the year and Jason Hayward came yeah. out so well, it was, I guess, players that, it, was it 19 or younger, who had hit, uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure if it was 300 <laughs> or better in double A. Yeah. It was players who had performed well in double A at a young age, basically. Yeah. I don't remember the exact numbers. It was compelling numbers. evidence. And the names with Jason Hayward were names of big league all-stars, basically. That's right. So. That's right. And I, but I don't think you can go wrong when you talk to Jason about when you're ranking Hayward or Steven Strasburg. I guess I got this question the other day in the uh, in the chat, the uh, weekly chat we do online at ESPN.com. Uh, we've gotten this question a lot in the offseason, Will. I mean, the... Ever since Steven Strasburg really burst on the scene, where people talk about his mechanics and all that kind of stuff, and I guess I really can't even—I don't even know that I can even worry about that. I mean, no, at I this think point, there's—I think any pitcher you can pick apart the mechanics. The only argument you make. can make against Strasburg is the argument you make against pitchers in general. Right. It's, pitching is more dangerous than hitting. Uh, it's easier for pitchers to go wrong without explanation, and it's easier for pitchers to get hurt. I don't think there's anything about Steven Strasburg that suggests that's going to happen. Right. But he's a pitcher, so there's a, a higher probability just just for what his job is. And I think the funny thing there is that Hayward is the one who actually has an injury track record. Mm-hmm. That, in my mind, is his only ding on him. Is the guy hasn't played a full season yet in the minor leagues, and it you know it, it seems like when you when you have minor injuries every year, you seem like you're one of those guys who always has. Minor injuries. I'm thinking of a guy like Barry Larkin. I think that we read about this this year when Barry Larkin was up for the Hall of Fame. Is that he only played more than 150 games four times? And mm-hmm. He kind of was chronically every year. He had one disabled list trip. It seemed like, and there are other players who are like that where they usually play 130 games, but maybe not 150, 160 games. And that's that's been the one thing that Hayward hasn't proved yet in the minor leagues. And it will be very interesting to see what the Braves do as we're recording this on what the 18th. If they were to sign someone like a Johnny Damon who's still out there, they bring in some other veteran for yeah, the outfield. Because otherwise, both these guys there parallels with that too. I think both right. of them certainly could start the season in the big leagues. I don't think either team wants their guys to start in the big leagues necessarily, especially the Nationals with Strasburg. Right. But I think there's a very good chance that Hayward. I would say Hayward has a much better chance of starting in the big leagues than Strasburg does. It seems like the Nationals have pretty well mapped out a plan where he's going to start off in Potomac. Potomac's already selling ticket right. packages on the assumption that he's going to be there. There are no guarantees. Um, and, I've, you know, he just pitched yesterday in Nationals camp, and apparently everybody in Nationals camp gathered around to see it. <laughs> uh, I heard Dave Shinen talking about that on the Tony Kornheiser show in the last day or two. Even, like, Ryan Zimmerman came over, you know, just wanted to see what all the fuss was about. Right. And you know you always hear about guys in batting practice where the sound makes the different the bat the ball makes a different sound coming off their bats. Um, he was saying that the ball makes a different sound coming out of Steven Strasburg's hand going to the to the mitt. So I've never really heard that description for a pitcher before. So that was kind of interesting. But he's a different cat. There's no doubt about it. It's it's going to be hard for the Nationals to tamp down the hype considering how bad the rest of sports are in the yeah, city, in the district right now. The, Redskins have been bad for a while and were epic this fall as far as just the the craziness and the the rumors and just what they did with their coaching situation. And you situation. think about how much money they invested in Strasburg, but the attendance difference he's going to make when he pitches this year, oh, yeah, they're going crazy. to make back a lot of that money pretty quickly, I They think. probably will. And then, uh, but then you have the, the, the Wizards 
and the year the Washington Wizards had Ugh. the the Gilbert Arenas, Javaris Crittenden. They've basically torn mess. down to the foundation now. They've completely torn that team apart, and it's just not a good sign when hockey is your number one sport in your town. That's just the way it is. When, you, when hockey is the best sport in your town, that's just a down year in your town. And, uh, Unless you're a one sport town like Raleigh, North Carolina. No, uh, it's not a one sport town. We got college <laughs> athletics here. Yeah, we got college, college sports are what's pro around here. So are we supposed to reveal who's number one in this podcast? Or do I, we I wasn't um, planning do we it. make people I'm come making, to the website next week to find out? I'm making people come to the website okay. next week. I'm not revealing anything. You're not getting anything out of me on this free podcast. No, I think that's fair. I, I'm, because, I'm, uh, like you said, we did have one guy number one and actually changed it on the page before we went to press. So I believe if we were John Kerry and our listeners were uh, Swift voters, they would say that we flip-flopped. <laughs> but we really didn't flip-flop. We just were compelled by more information. I believe in our initial raw voting, it was a tie, actually. And we decided on one guy just based on, you know, opinion in the office. And then Jim Callis in particular, who talked to quite a few scouts and ran ran our list by them, uh, you know, like you said, got got some more information, and that's sort of what we always do anyway. Our lists are based on information, not our, not our opinions so much. So. Right. I mean, it is a, it's a, it's, we try to have that opinion be as informed as possible. Right. And I think the neat thing is that we were able to – we had a list, and then the, the cool feature that we did with this that I'm really happy with is that we basically ranked uh, – well, we ranked the players, and we presented them with their best tool and their grade. And we gave it – it says BA grade – because we were we tweaked a few of the grades, and obviously not every team is going to give you exactly what their grade is either. But then we were able to take these and really run them by. We went we went through it. Me, you, and Jim went through it. Here's the top 100. Okay, now let's pick out what their best tool is, and based on what we had in the prospect handbook, what the best what the grades are of those best tools. We went through that for all 100 players, and we basically ran those lists by uh, people you know, in the many game. many professional many scouts and front office executives and. Uh, there's at least a half dozen, and uh, and that's where we got. And so we got a lot of great feedback on that. A lot of neat, like I guess the thing that I learned the most actually out of that will was that Neftali Feliz, that some people were giving him a 70 grade for his changeup. Yeah. It's one of the best changeups in the minor leagues. I knew that he'd made significant progress with his changeup, and I know that it's a firm changeup, but you could throw an 89 mile an hour yeah, changeup. Yeah, because when Jim initially was uh, was talking about that, we thought he was talking about the Martin wrong guy. Perez. Yeah, that's right. I asked him. I said, "You mean Martin Perez?" And he said, "No, Feliz, Nathalie Feliz." And uh, he's still he he's going to be fascinating for me to watch because obviously it's a special arm, it's a spectacular arm, but he does uh, one of those things that I've always kind of had a. Obviously, I like I talk a lot about pitch fastballs and fastball command and basics of pitching before I get too wrapped up on the secondary stuff. He clearly has an electric fastball. Um, that was another interesting comment from uh, what Jim sent us, you know, sort of his executive summary of yeah. of a lot of his interviews was Picking out those Steven Strasburg's fastball being such an easy 80, I guess you would say. That's it. It's the easiest 80 out there. It's, it's an 80 velocity, but also just the command and the life on the pitch are also exceptional. And I guess for new listeners, we should explain the scouting scale again, yeah. even though we take it for granted now. Uh, it's 20 to 80, with 20 being the worst, 80 being the best, and 50 being major league average. So obviously in the top 100, if we heard a guy we were looking at had his best tool was maybe his arm, and that was a 50. That would be a bad sign That's for right. us. That's right. That would be a red flag. And the other, uh, of course, some teams don't use 2080. Some teams just use 2 to 8. Right. 
and that's because they don't want to give half grades. And I, you know, uh, that, that's that's fine too. I, I could see where there's room for half grades, and I could see where you really want your scout to be definitive and be right. more precise and just use the two to eight. So, but the gist of it is, fifty is average, sixty is above average, seventy is well above average, and eighty is top of the scale. So those are are rarely handed out, but you see quite a few of them at the top of our prospect list. It was also heartening. Um, after the coming off the college preview issue where we had our uh, coaches vote, more than 150 coaches voted, and they chose Steven Strasburg, pitcher of the decade, and Dustin Ackley, hitter of the decade, pro guys are pretty in love with Dustin Ackley. Yeah. He got, like talking about easy, he got easy, he easily won the best hit tool in all of this. And this is a guy that major league executives are expecting to win multiple batting championships, it sounds like. And, and I mean, that's the guy who we initially had graded as a 75 hitter when we did or it. 70, I think, maybe. And then I believe after talking to scouts, we raised the grade to an 80 on the version that actually went to press. Oh, we did raise it to 80. I think so. That's crazy to give a guy an 80. We're, we're, like, we're basically again, saying this guy's going to be a 330 hitter. That's, that's based it. on talking to scouts, not us thinking that, that's, oh, this guy's really cool. That's it, and that's, and that, that's, the, that's the best part about it. That's not us. Going out to Chapel Hill, which is down the road. We are based on North Carolina. There could have been a selection bias there. With we just, you just don't see college baseball players make it look as easy as Dustin Ackley made it look the last three years. Um, so much, so much so that I actually thanked him after the last time I saw him play locally. I thanked him for being so good because <laughs> <laughs> it was it was ridiculous how how easy he made the game look and how much fun it was to watch him for three years. And I knew that we weren't going to have a player like that around anymore, and I was sad, yeah, frankly. Yeah, it'll be a lot different. Because he's also, a, you know, he's at least a 65 runner, if not a 70 runner, He's uh, and he makes that look easy, too. And uh, the hardest thing with Dustin Ackley is putting a position to him. Right. We wound up with OF slash 1B slash 2B. You know, I know he doesn't profile as a first baseman. I know the Mariners aren't necessarily talking about him as a first baseman. But he obviously can play there. He obviously can play there. He's played there. He's He's good there. And the thing is, there's not an obvious first baseman in Seattle, mm-hmm. and if he doesn't instantly take to the other positions, I just think first base is a very easy fallback plan for a yeah. guy who's bad as that good. I don't think you can rule out that Dustin Ackley will play first base. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and Will, and uh, we didn't have any podcast questions this week. You can email this into us at podcast at com On Monday, if you have any college questions, you can send those in because Aaron Fitt and I will have our first in-season college podcast, which that'll be exciting. And, um, a lot we of good also, college baseball coming up in our area, certainly, but absolutely. across the country this, this weekend. The opening of the Division One season this weekend, and you can follow, if you aren't already following Baseball America on Twitter, you can do so. You can go to twitter.com backslash Baseball America. We've got more than 8,000 followers. And Aaron Fitt, we've set it up, so Aaron will be tweeting all weekend with twit after twit, as Aaron said <laughs> in our meeting last week. Uh, Aaron's at least 10 years younger than me, and he did not get it right. It made me feel, <laughs> made me feel somewhat youthful that Aaron got uh, a tw- wasn't calling it a tweet. He didn't have his Twitter terminology correct, but before I use more of it incorrectly, I, I want to move on. But so you can follow us all weekend on Twitter and, of course, on our Facebook page, uh, Baseball America, all over all these new media. Uh, well, I guess in the, in, in the rest of this Top 100, some of the Top 100 discussion, a couple guys. Uh, well, we we also had the, a couple X factors get thrown in here. You had the Cubans, yeah, who signed late, who were not in the handbook as far as they weren't with organizations. So none of us ranked Aroldis Chapman or Noel Arguez. They both made the top 100. 
Uh, or did they? Or uh, I guess they did. Arguez is at the back, and uh, yeah. Chapman will be toward the top. And I was going to bring him up anyway because he's another guy who got an 80 grade for a tool. That's right, 80 fastball. fastball. So we had three 80 fastballs in the top 25 or so on the list, which is I think pretty remarkable. It is kind of remarkable, and I think it also uh, it tells you why Roldis Chapman got 30 million dollars. Yeah. However, they parse it out. However, you want to talk about it. And clearly, Cuban players get, uh, and there's a flood right now of Cuban players on the market, um, and, there, and, and there's a lot of uh, reasons for that. That's a whole other show. But Roldis Chapman is pretty unique. He's the only one of those three guys who got 80 grades. Then Fali Feliz be another one who is left-handed. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Uh, he's pretty young. I think his age is legitimate. I think he's a legitimate 22. The other factor is that his track record is nowhere near the other guys. I mean, even in Cuba's Serie Nacional, he never dominated. He always had control issues in the three seasons, I believe, we have data for. And then there's this fact that he had a year or so layoff um, after defecting, after leaving the Cuban national team last year, the World Port Tournament, and the Netherlands. He's a he's a big X factor. All those X factors are reasons why he ranks considerably considerably behind Strasburg and Feliz. Yeah, and just the track record of Cuban pitchers in general is is pretty mixed, so it'll be interesting to see him pitch this year. It would frankly be pretty sad if 15 years from now, Roldis Chapman pitched and looked like Lee Bon Hernandez. <laughs> I hope that he follows more of the El Duque career track because uh, he's alive. That's who he looks like. He's lithe and athletic and mm-hmm. tall and looks like, if he weren't left-handed, it looks like, I mean, like El Duque, when you saw him pitch, you could have seen that guy younger playing shortstop. Yeah. He was clearly a middle-of-the-diamond caliber athlete, and that's why El Duque was able to do the things he did, the leg kick, the varying your arm angles, t- adding and subtracting from his pitches. That was all just his unbelievable athleticism. I don't think Chapman is that level of athlete, but I do think he's more athletic than, uh, than the average bear. And uh, he's, he's one of the most fascinating guys in the top 100. He, he ranks in a group that's a pretty fascinating group. I thought that little chunk – of Ryan Westmoreland, Aroldis Chapman, Tyler Matzik, Casey Kelly, and Kyle Drabeck. Those are all fascinating guys you chunk. can see in the top ten next year. No doubt, no doubt. If Ch- Chapman obviously could be in the big leagues, but yeah, those are all guys who could be very prominent guys next year. The other four guys, I think we're all we're, we were kind of all over the board on the on some of those guys. I mean, like Tyler Matzik. You know, there were some teams I think the last year in the draft, by the time the draft rolled around, would have taken Tyler Matzik over Dustin Ackley. Um, obviously, they didn't get the chance. Ackley and Strasburg went off, you know, Strasburg won, Ackley two. But I think a lot of boards, Tyler Matzik was three, but he's also a high school pitcher, so mm-hmm. there's a lot more risk involved there. Casey Kelly and Ryan Westmoreland, I think those are two of the most fascinating guys on this entire list. And Casey Kelly, that's a guy who I probably will be watching as much as any top 100 guy now that he's ditched shortstop completely um, to see yeah, how he takes off. that's a very strong one-two for the Red Sox. Uh, I don't remember how many Red Sox were on the list. Let's see, four guys. And they had, I think, 15 guys taken in our prospect draft, which was 330 players, 15 or 16. So that's a strong farm system. A lot of young guys like Westmoreland and Kelly who will have to see sort of, you know, what the next chapter is for them. But a lot of talent in that farm system. I know that was a thing when you look at the Red Sox top 30 and you just look at their farm system in general. You see decent talent at double-A and above, guys like Josh Reddick mm-hmm. and Ryan Kalish and Michael Bowden, and some, some guys you can see being solid big leaguers. Lars Anderson. Uh, Lars Anderson. I didn't mean to leave him out. She would be upset with me if you didn't mention him. So, um, But the the real mother low, the real impact talent is all at class A and below, and that's the only reason why 
And for me, the Red Sox farm system doesn't rank, you know, in the top five or six of our farm system rankings. But uh, they, they, you know, they're very, very young. But there's a lot of there's as much high upside. The fact they have one college player mm-hmm. in their whole top twenty, I think it is, Stephen Fife, a personal cheese ball, obviously. But yeah, I think that's right. I think he, he's at number sixteen or seventeen. And he's the only college player to have. And another in interesting way. eighty tool in the uh, top twenty to twenty five range is Aaron Hicks, who. Yeah. Gets an 80 for his arm. You know, maybe he'd be one of those 80 fastball guys if he was a pitcher. But uh, obviously he's a multidimensional outfielder. And I think sometimes you think, oh, a position player whose best tool is his arm, that's sort of a red flag. But that's just sort of... That is how freakish his arm is, basically. And and the thing is, it doesn't even sound like it plays like an 80 right now because he can generate basically 80 velocity off the mound. But it's a little bit different throwing motion when you're not... And a wind up and all that in the outfits. It's like it plays more like a seventy arm. Oh, you know, I think we may have downgraded I think that we did. actually. I think we did downgrade him in the final version. Right. All right. So it sounds like again, it plays you know, seventy was like a raw eighty arm. So he still has other tools that are. I mean, he's like a 60, 65, 70 runner. He is he's not a, a 60, cheap five tool player. No, he's a, he's a loud, expensive, <laughs> uh, marquee five tool player and a guy. With all those tools, a guy who has something of an advanced idea at the plate. I mean, he's still raw and still learning what pitches he can hit, but that's a guy I could definitely see in the top ten next year. It's good to be bullish on him. Uh, was Jason Castro the lowest best tool grade among uh, like a college he hitter? He's like the most like solid bat. average. Yeah. And I even thought that was almost a little generous. Because to me, a 60 bat's like a 300 hitter. I don't know that I think he's going to be like a – 290, yeah. 300 hitter annually. Maybe it's a 60 bat for a catcher. The catchers were interesting because Tony Sanchez also came out a lot better in our when we surveyed guys. Right, he's a I guy who he rated much higher with scouts than we would have thought maybe on his defense. Yeah, we thought his defense was good, but they were scouts were like, no, it's really good. Yeah, I think we thought like given that that guy a 60 defense was not being generous, but being like really solid. Mm-hmm. But everyone was like, ah, oh, you're selling him short, so. Uh, kudos again to uh, you know because at the time we were definitely critical of the Pirates taking him fourth overall. Mm-hmm. But if this guy hits, then they're going to have one of the best players in the draft, and it's really hard to find a 70 defense catcher. Castro, it, it's interesting the parallels with uh, Jason Castro too, because he was a little bit of an overdraft right. too. He was not and a I consensus think number eight. He's turned out to be maybe a little bit better than people thought. Um, but I think his ultimate value is going to come in how much power he ends up having. That's that's if the he ends up having factor. above average power, he's going to be really good. I think. I think he's got enough leverage, and he's got enough. I think he's going to be good no hit. matter what. I think he'll be a solid big league catcher for a long time. But if he adds power, he's going to be more than people think. To me, I see that. I really, I, I, I had that comparison made when he was in college, and I'll stick with. It. I think he's going to be AJ Przinsky, who draws more walks. And is not a jerk, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I guess the uh, podcast version of that, I, I won't even say the phrase. Uh, it's a family <laughs> podcast, but that that's always been my comparison for him, and, and I I stick by that. And I nothing he's done as a pro makes me uh, back off of that yet. So, uh, going ba- a little bit further into our top 100, will let's hope this is the last year. I'm looking at who we ran pictures of. Let's hope this is the last year that Reed Brignac is on the <laughs> top 100. Just that, I know you're ready to see him in Tampa Bay. It's a, little, it's a little prospect fatigue. On Reed Brignac. I'm ready for Elliot Johnson to seize the everyday shortstop job in Durham. No, actually, that's not really even it. But uh, you know, that, that guy was the, 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 there. Two 2004 high school draft picks on this top 100 from the Rays organization, both Wade Davis and 
Reed Brignac wow, were in that 2004 draft, which also netted them Jacob McGee, who still he still is eligible, and it's definitely conceivable that Jake McGee could be on next year's top 100. And then they also got uh, Jeff Neiman in that draft. Pretty good draft uh, for Tampa in 2004. They've had a lot of good drafts they've, recently. They've had a lot of good drafts. But another guy who was intriguing and I think came up our top 100, the more we got more information on was Zach Britton. And you did the Orioles yeah. top uh, You did the Orioles top uh, top 30. And Zach Britton really kind of jumped ahead of some other maybe guys that we've uh, gotten a little bit more attention, hype, however you want to put it. But this guy might have the best sinker in the minor leagues. Yeah, I think, you know, going into doing their top ten, you knew he was a top ten guy. You had a pretty good year. But the more you talk to people about him, the more excited you get. And I think he's not, like, at Mattis level, but he he definitely should be lumped in with Arietta. You know, the guy's right behind yeah. Mattis and Tillman. Tillman. Yeah. He's he's not quite as good as Tillman either, but I mean he is a, yeah he's a legit guy. He he definitely gives the Orioles another legit pitching prospect. So, and I think he did come out with that. I think we ended, that's another grade that we adjusted and, late. Yeah, he and uh, he and Filippo Mont, I would say probably have the the best sinkers in the minor leagues, sort of for different reasons. I think Brinton's is probably more consistent, firmer, but he doesn't quite have as much velocity. But and Omont's is really Omont's really more of an unknown commodity. Yeah. Because there's a guy who was drafted. First, he's Canadian, so he doesn't pitch as much. Second of all, he gets drafted by the Mariners and then get into the Bill Bavese screw-up machine. <laughs> so they start relieving him almost instantly. They drafted three relievers in the first round in a row. Yeah. In Brandon Morrow in 06. It's like Omar drafting 07. receivers year after year for the it, Lions. It is. It is. That's, a, that's an outstanding parallel. They were the Detroit Lions of the baseball let's, draft. Let's find some really not very valuable pieces and continue drafting them with our premium picks. That doesn't make any sense at all. But now the Phillies have traded for him, and the Phillies clearly kind of know what they're doing with the farm system, and they've got Philippe Omont plugged into, okay, let's give him over to Gordon, Gorman Heimuller, who's an underrated pitching coordinator for me. I like, I think they do a great job. And they're going to let that sinker work as a star, in a starting role yeah, again. That'll be so, really interesting to see So he could, he could make a big jump. But I really just didn't know enough about Zach Britton, and the more I learned about him in the last couple of weeks, the more I realized that this is a guy who had eight strikeouts per nine innings basically last year and like a 3.8 ground out ratio. He's just going to generate lots and lots of ground balls. It wouldn't wouldn't stun me. The thing is, like, picture him in a farm system with shortstops, you know, with people who can (laughs) play defense. Yeah. Because the Orioles just don't have that. Picture him in an infield without Billy Rowell at third base. Wasn't Billy Rowell one of his third basemen this year? Was he at first base? I think he ended up spending most of the year in the outfield. But Brandon Waring also, I believe, was in Fred. But no, there are no real premium defenders in the Orioles system. It's just not how they roll. I mean, they have a few, but yeah. It's not how they roll uh, in, in the Baltimore farm system. It's not their strength as an organization. Um, but anybody at the, at the back of the list, Willie, you want to make sure we brought up before we uh, wrap up the podcast? Well, I think Peter Borges is an interesting guy, sort of unconventional. And the top of that Angels list was very muddled for me. I yeah. know you're a, Hank, you're a Hank Conger guy. I'm more of a Borges guy. I don't think either one of them really is a legitimate number one prospect. And you can definitely make the case for Mike Trout. Yeah. But he wasn't even their first first-round pick. And I think there's a real question about how much power he'll ultimately hit for. So those three guys are all in the back of the list, and I'll be interested to see how all three of those guys, uh, how their careers play out. I think Adam Moore at the back of the list is an interesting guy. Sort of a, you talk about Zach Britton being a little underappreciated. I think Adam Moore's a little, little underappreciated. Drew Storen, you know, yeah, ranking relief pitchers this year. I'll be very interested to see what a couple of the guys toward the back. There are three guys toward the back, Matt Gamble, Wilmer Flores, Lars Anderson. 
think all three of those guys ranked about 50 spots higher last year. Yeah, that's year. true. And uh, they're grouped together toward the back of our list. And Matt Gamble, he's a guy with exactly 130 major league at bats, so he's barely prospect eligible. He's got to have more than 130. He's right at 130, so he's barely eligible. Wilmer Flores is at the opposite end of that spectrum. He's playing shortstop, but no one thinks he's going to be a shortstop. There's so much projection there, but clearly, here's a guy who's 18 years old. There's something going yeah, on. He's there. one of the few guys we have as uh, 2012 ETA. So. That's right. That's right. And then Lars Anderson. I mean, I think we all still believe in Lars Anderson, but it's harder to believe in him as a real middle of the lineup force after what he did last year in Double A. Can he be a good big league player? I think he can, but now I'm thinking of him more in the Travis Lee line. And if you look at our past top impact. 100s, the guys you see in the top 25. Most of those guys either make it as as at least regular big leaguers, or you can. You, there's an obvious reason why they failed, injuries usually being the culprit. But the guys at the back of the top 100, that's more of a mixed bag. Yeah. And it's interesting that Lars Anderson has been in both, both. of those groups now. <laughs> so it's hard to figure out which one he's ultimately going to be a part of. I, uh, I I think he's a good guy to leave it off on. There are definitely controversial guys in any top 100, but um, I don't think most – like for me, the fact that he ranks behind Jeff Decker, alias Jeff Decker, but spell your name right. I just but like – That's a different that, – that that one, I would that would never have happened 10 years ago. And I, I like – I know Jim Callis is incredibly enthusiastic about the way we did the uh, best tool for each member I, of the top 100. So I'm very enthusiastic. But not I'm enthusiastic guessing we'll, we're going to be doing this for a while, but I like it because – it is sort of illuminating about these players, even though we already, you know, know who they are. It does tell you more and make you think more about who they are. Uh, it's kind of like when we did the the head-to-head matchups with yes. the top 100 a few years ago, and for some of those, I think it showed us Wait a some guys who had some flaws. Yeah. Um, this year, are we sure th- we want to have Angel Barroa this high? Right. <laughs> this year, I think it has shown us that. Um, I don't know, maybe we're getting better at the process, or maybe there no these guys' tools are blinding us. But I feel good about uh, about the guys we have in the top 100 just after even further analysis. Yeah, absolutely. Like, at first, like, just to pull, just to pull one last name out, like, Simone Castro. I knew I was high on Simone Castro. Right. But I felt better about it after you really break down the tools. and Then when you think more about why. And yeah. then you look at the guys behind him, he fits mm-hmm. Like the, by this approach. So, like you said, uh... I'm enthusiastic about it. We'll roll this out on February 23rd. We appreciate people being patient with us, but we did so much work on the college preview issue. We don't want to post the top 100 and have it get lost in the middle of the top 100, uh, in the middle of all the college stuff, or diminish the college stuff. With, and, and with yeah, the, season the college stuff out, was so, so good. And with the season starting tomorrow, even if you're not you know, the most gung-ho college baseball fan in the world, uh, I think you owe it to yourself to go revisit all that college content because it's really, really strong. So I would encourage people, even if they've read some of it, to go back and read some more. And if you haven't read any of it, well, you're really doing yourself a disservice and you need to go check it out as the season gets underway. I'm not going to fall into old cliches, but I really do think it was like the best college preview ever. (laughs) It was a very good college preview for sure. I enjoyed working on it. And we will talk college baseball on Monday on the Baseball America podcast. We will tweet it all weekend. I can't wait for Aaron Fit to tweet. I just, <laughs> I'm very excited about that. And we'll come back next week with another podcast on the uh, pro side, and it's all sponsored by DeMarini Demo House. Because when it comes to buying a baseball bat, DeMarini just changed the game. Introducing Demo House, where you can step into the cage and hit the latest from DeMarini before you buy. 
because there's no substitute for hitting a real baseball or talking to people who know both bats and batting. Your demo time in the cage is free. Get the season started right. Visit your nearest demo house today. Locations and full details can be found at demarine.com backslash demo house. For Will Lingo, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast.